Welcome to the 6D Helmets Kickstart Podcast. It is the Monday following the Montreal Supercross. I'm Don Maeda, joined by Michael Antonovich, and today our special guest is Justin Brayton. So, JB, thanks for uh, coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> so, pretty uh, pretty exciting weekend up there in the uh, Great White North for you, huh? Yeah, it was super fun. It, you know, it's been a while since I've raced it was since uh the uh, hawaii supercross in the middle of may and um so it was awesome to get back behind the gate and uh yeah super fun uh, montreal is a really cool city got to go check that out actually me and anton went and checked out the city on friday and uh pretty cool european vibe and had some good coffee and some good food and yeah it was fun and the racing was uh the track was super easy which was fun but uh track was super close or, or the racing was super close and yeah overall just a really fun weekend nice yeah jb that was a good time just going through the city i think people are going to be interested in the video that we're going to put together later this week just because it's seeing things that people never see when we go to the races most of the time our focus is just on what happens at the track and it's cool to go see a new yeah. place that we've never yeah. gone to before hey jb yeah totally I and actually What's that? Yeah, I need to ask you a question because I probably won't get the straight answer from Anton. Was he wearing? Oh, a, yeah. Did he wear a scarf? He wasn't wearing a scarf. No, it was too no. warm. <laughs> but he had some trick uh, vegan Doc Martin boots on. Oh Those yeah, yeah. Were pretty tricked out. They were giving him some blisters. I heard. Yeah, my feet are <laughs> oh, yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So hey, that track looked pretty. Uh, pretty crazy with the buggies and stuff going through there, <laughs> and you know I watched. Uh, you know, Dino wore our GoPro for us, and I was watching it, and it looked like some of the jumps were not as wide as the width of the track. Like, yeah. Like, it looked kind of, uh, I mean, it looked easy in, in one sense, but in another sense, it looked kind of sketchy because the jumps weren't the full width in some places. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I don't, most times I try not to be too critical of the track just because I know what the... I know kind of all sides of it, I guess, the promoter side and, you know, they've got four-wheelers and buggies and, and everything. Mm -hmm. So I try not to be too critical, but yeah, it was, it wasn't a super cross. Um, it, it was super easy and, um, but it's also cool for the fans too, because I mean, it wasn't a main event all night where there wasn't just nonstop action. I mean, the, the back me and Dean had in the second main. It was for third and fourth, but it was like a battle for the win, and it could have been a battle for the win with a little bit better start, you know. And um, so, yeah, it, it was it was fine, especially in September. I mean, we're we're just in September, and uh, um, it's all about a show, right? It's it's um, entertainment. So if you have a really difficult track, uh, it really separates us. Then and then, you know, some of the Canadians don't ride Supercross a lot, so. I get all aspects of it. Um, so yeah, it was fun and, um, yeah, fun to do some battling and, um, jumps were super easy and stuff like that, but yeah, it was all good. It actually felt like kind of a race that I grew up doing in Iowa, mm -hmm. uh, kind of a fair race, you know, it was pretty neat. The one thing, and we won't see a lot of it, but they had the starting gate lifted up between like race one and two while the buggies were out there. And the buggies would, like, come across the starting straight instead of hitting the triple that they had. And one of them kind of got a little either too on the throttle or missed the turn and mowed down the gate and busted the gate. No so way. there was, like, a 15-minute unplanned intermission where they had to rebuild the gate. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, like, different stuff. We've gone to enough of these races overseas that you kind of have to expect the unexpected because something weird will happen. And then it just kind of throws everything out the window for a minute. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Justin. Yeah, that, that was pretty wild to sit there and wait that long, and we honestly didn't know if we were going to have to do a single file restart or a uh, green flag or start. Or not even a restart, just a single file start. <laughs> yeah, so pretty the, wild. That video, uh, the GoPro with Dino was wild, man. You guys, <laughs> you went back and forth like multiple times, and I was, I was, uh, I was cracking up. It was like because you know the race is obviously from Dino's standpoint, but it's like. Man, look at look at Brayton sneaking right back in there. I mean, were there any <laughs> were there any hairy moments where you guys got real close or anything? Because one of them, uh, I think it was like an on off. It looked like he landed right next to you because you guys are doing a different rhythm or something. 
Yeah, there's never really any sketchy moments because the only way you could really make a pass is if you go up the inside of someone. But then the the dirt was so dry and slick that if I knew he was coming inside, I would just break check a little bit and then cut back underneath him because I knew he wasn't going to be able to accelerate very hard off the turn. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, kind of just cat and mouse. And then the top, Malcolm and Phil were kind of getting away because we were battling so hard. So they're about halfway. I'm like, gosh, we're just letting them get away by battling. Like we've, we've got to go. And then, um, so then I just kind of sat in behind Dean for the last half and then we reeled in Phil, but just too late, you know? So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like I didn't want to get beat by him, but also we're letting the top two guys get away. So the ultimate goal was to win, but it it was tough. And then on that track, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of inches and it's a game of tenths of just getting a tiny bit more traction in certain parts of the track would make you two tenths better. And honestly, that was kind of the difference between the top three guys was literally two tenths a lap. Mm Mm-hmm. And then some of the guys that you were lapping, they looked... Uh, oh, it was brutal. It looked like you were riding at a milestone on a Wednesday with, with me and Anton and Dahmer. <laughs> yeah, that was honestly the toughest part was, man, they were just really bad. They didn't really know how to get lapped, if that makes sense. Like, we're used to guys coming up on guys and, like, just hold your line. That's the thing about getting lapped. Just hold your line and I'll figure out a way past you. Yeah. But they would try and get out of the way. So they would jump from the right to the left or left to the right. And it's like, I mean, one section, I literally rolled every single jump in that section. It was a triple on off and I had to go roll, 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 roll just because there was two guys battling and they were both trying to let me by, but they were also both kind of in a battle. Yeah. And neither one of them knew what to do. So then I didn't know what to do. I'm like, all right, what are you guys doing here? Where are you going? And that was in the last man. And I was right behind Dean until that point. And then, yeah, it cost me five seconds or whatever in one one part of the track, and then he's gone. So, hmm. yeah, that was the tough part. Hey, what was your uh, – what did you do about uh, machinery up there? Did you have uh, your regular bike driven up, or were you riding a promoter provider? I did, bike? yeah, yeah. So it's not too bad of a drive from Charlotte. So I have a practice bike here in North Carolina, and um, my mechanic, Brent Duffy, just drove up my Sprinter van with that in it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we um, – we drove that bike up so it was cool to have all my stuff there and we basically pitted out of my sprinter malcolm and i did and so that was kind of fun it was it was weird because it was such a euro vibe like and anton will tell you like it felt like we were in geneva or something mm. but then all of a sudden i have my own sprinter and i have my own stuff so it's like and people are speaking french it's like dang we're like overseas but we're not you know it was, mm-hmm. it was kind of strange it was a weird feeling it was real like I had never been to Montreal, and I don't, JB, you hadn't either, but yeah. No, I hadn't either. From even the travel to get over there, from like the West Coast to there, feels like we might as well have went to Europe. But then the language barrier, everybody speaks French. There are people that speak English, but it didn't seem very prevalent, as it maybe should have been. And then when you talk to all of the Canadian people, like all the guys that run the series up there, or the Jetworks guys, they view it as another country. Like Quebec isn't even part of Canada to them. And Mathis told me at some point, like maybe in the last 20 or 30 years, they even wanted to separate and be their own country because they feel so disconnected from the rest of it. But yeah, it's it's definitely like a primer for all these off-season races that are getting ready to go on because you're pretty much in Europe. Even the food was like European. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was did a they, cool vibe, for sure. Did they have cheesies up there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Not the right. exact same ones, but they had some different <laughs> stuff, and then the chips were all different flavors. But the, the funniest thing... And, Justin, you probably saw this. The apples, they had like these crates of apples everywhere. And the things were only about as big as the size of the palm of your hand, not like these massive GMO apples we mm-hmm. have down here that look like <laughs> yeah. a softball. Mm-hmm. So I would yeah. eat like three of them, and it felt like eating one. Yeah. So like it, there was a lot of little differences that you had to like go through and understand and be like, okay, this isn't going to be perfect this way, but it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. J- JB, yeah. How, are the, uh, how are the fans up there? Were they uh – were like American fans asking for everything, or were they more mellow, or were they wilder? Um, I would say a combination of both. They didn't have as much access to us as like they do in, say, Geneva or or Bercy. Mm-hmm. It's more American-like, except we're pitted on the floor, and um, you know, not many fans could get down there. Uh, but we did do an autograph signing up up in the stands, you know, on kind of one of the sections of the 
of the seats and that was that was cool and you know a lot of them didn't speak english so it was wild that they would come up and speak french i'm like sorry i don't speak <laughs> french and they looked at me like what why wouldn't you speak french you know so i don't know think they quite got that there were some americans coming up yeah uh so yeah it, it was neat though i mean they definitely were stoked that we were there and i don't know the exact numbers on crowd but it's a huge stadium probably the biggest floor that i've ever been in as far as a stadium floor how big it was for the track they only used about half of it but um but yeah the place is huge and obviously it wasn't near to full but it, there was definitely some a good turnout for sure mm -hmm. the big thing too on on that whole race it's been there forever like i talked to eric bernard saturday morning and, and that race has been around for like 30 something years it's one of the original supercross races but then because it's never been part of like a massive championship it's part of the canadian series now but it's never been part of like the ama fim world championship it's kind of been off on its own deal and that's been a huge event for Canadians. Like, that was the heart of Canadian moto for quite a while. But it's a good Especially race. Especially like, when JSR, they said yeah. when JSR was racing, they used to sell that place out because he's from right there in Montreal. Mm, yeah. So, and then it, it went away, right, Anton? It went away for a couple several years. years. Yeah, I want to say like five. Last year was the first year back, and they, they said this year the crowd was even better than last year. So I think if they continue to do it, they could get back to what it used to be mm -hmm. the one big thing like when justin and i went around town on friday honda stuff is everywhere like honda advertises like pepsi and coca-cola do there's honda like yeah. four-wheeler ads and generator right. ads and everything and honda was the presenting sponsor for this race so you can tell that there's a big they, emphasis they on getting stuff up. there yeah you think they ramped mm -hmm. it up in the town for yeah because there the was there was like posters everywhere um and a lot of, like, Honda branding, like Fasciati was the poster child for all of the promo stuff. But, you mm -hmm. know, on the train stations, at the airport, all around town, there was stuff to hype that up. And and that's kind of a big Euro vibe, too, because when we go to Geneva or Paris, you'll see that stuff everywhere. Mm -hmm. But when you go to, like, the Phoenix Supercross, you rarely ever see a billboard aside <laughs> from, like, yeah. a TV commercial. Yeah. Hey, so uh, it was uh, JB, Malcolm, uh, Phil. And, Dino. And Dino. Well, Dino's, <laughs> but the, as far as the American contingent, were those the only guys? Uh, Gerke, oh, Kate Clayson. So there's there's a handful of guys that run the Canadian series full-time. Uh -huh. So like Luke Rensland is in the 250 class right now. He did not very good in the first race. Uh, he crashed, but then won the second race going away. And Jess Pettis is the Canadian kid up there, and he's like their top Supercross prospect right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he won the first race. By He's a kid that did some Supercross down here with the yeah, with Red KTM. Bull helmet, right? Yeah. yeah, he actually did pretty good. Was it? I think it was Oakland. He whole shot at the heat race and led for a while. And um, he was really good. The first one he won by by a lot, a long ways. And the second one, he had the whole shot and lost the front end and um, tweaked his knee or something, from what I hear. But yeah, there's quite a few good guys. And then you know, Don on a track like that, like it's really tough but fun to watch right like if we all start together it's going to be a really fun fun race to watch and nicoletti was on it which he's leading the triple crown points right now so it was a little bit tough like i ride with him during the week so i know his situation and he's going for a 100 grand so he was giving me crap at the afterwards that we stole stole money from him and stole his <laughs> position <laughs> you know just you know how filthy it is but um so it was tough like and the, I think it's the second man. You can see it on Dean's GoPro that Malcolm goes in pretty hard on him in the second turn, and I was like, "Oh, like don't don't take Phil down, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we don't want to do that." So um, yeah, it's always tough. Even when we go to Bercy and Geneva, it's like there's one goal for the guys that are in the middle of the series, and then we're there to kind of win the race and put on a good show. So it's always a little bit difficult on how you race guys and how they're going to race you and. I know that some guys are probably bitter that we're even there. So it's a little bit difficult, but um, yeah, it was a fun time. And Nicoletti was, he was riding really good. Mm -hmm. yep. hey, hey, so I know that these races are a good chance to, uh, to earn uh, a nice payday. So for a guy like you, Justin, do you make more um, from purse or do you, uh, do you have a nice little uh, start show up bonus? Yeah, so races like this, I don't make anything on purse money, so it doesn't matter if I get first or or last, really. But I think for me, I've always proven that I'm not there just to collect the money. I want to go there and 
Like I'm driving my own bike up. I'm mm-hmm. shipping my bikes overseas to go to those races. Like I've always thought of it as I'm going to spend as much money as possible or as much money as needed to have all my equipment there to go try and win the race. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest, over the years, I feel like I've made a, a name for myself at the overseas races before I started really making a name for myself, you know, domestically here in the States. So, um, yeah, I, I just get a show up fee. I don't mm-hmm. get any money above and beyond that. So it's on my motivation, my motivation level on how serious I want to take it. But I've always taken it super serious. I mean, those races in Europe, I, I love to go there and win. It's a confidence booster too, you know, and even Montreal for Dean to go win. I, that feels good. I know for sure it does. You know, I've been there and it feels good to win anything. So yeah, it's just to show up, no bonuses. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, that's kind of how it always has been. Yeah. So do you, uh, okay. So for instance, I went to, uh, Whistler up in Canada a couple of times. And before I went, I went on this website and I bought a travel, travel insurance that included like hazardous activities, like downhill mountain biking. So like mm-hmm. when you go up there like that, do you take out a uh, international, like, temporary insurance policy, or do you have an insurance policy that covers you no matter where you are? Man, it's so funny you mentioned that because we were just talking about it today at lunch, and my wife had called me literally like an hour ago and said, hey, I'm starting to make calls about travel insurance. Mm-hmm. So we've never gotten it before, ever. All the traveling I've done, I've never gotten travel insurance. And last year in Australia, we went through heck trying to – my wife was in the ER. She had two nights stay in the hospital because she had pneumonia. And then I was in the hospital because pneumonia and bronchitis and our kids were sick. Like we just went, we went through the ringer and mm. every place we went, we're like, do you have travel insurance? And we're like, no, we don't have anything. Well, thankfully over there, the healthcare is great. And two nights stay, all of our medical costs out of pocket. We just paid cash for everything. And it was still less than four grand. Oh, wow. We're here. If yeah. you're from out of country and you come here and that happens, I mean, you almost go broke. Yeah. So we got super lucky, but it taught us a, a good lesson on we definitely need travel insurance now and, and just in case, worst case scenario. So, yeah, we're going through the process right now to get it for Australia, and then I'm going to look into it for even Europe. And then, you know, you look at the Western Pike thing. Oh, yeah. That could happen, you know, like that could that could happen. I've just never really thought about it too much. and. So, yeah, it's a serious thing that we should probably all get. And honestly, the promoter probably should require it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's something we're looking in, into now. And I'm really not sure how to do it. I don't know if we just go through a standard. Dude, it's crazy. That, company like, or? Yeah, it's, it's the one I did was all online. And uh, mm-hmm. I want to say I had $2 million in coverage. And it was, it was like for the five days I was up there. And it was only like 39 bucks. Yeah, I've heard it's pretty so, affordable. So hey, you know what? When, when we turn off the phone, we'll uh, I'll text you <laughs> the company that I yes, yeah, yeah, do it for sure. But um, hey, we're gonna take a quick break to uh, hear from our sponsors, but we'll be back for more with uh, Justin Brayton. Out here, on the edge, failure is no option. Here, you don't compromise. Off road, on road, on the track, off the grid. Sunstar sprockets and brake discs come installed in more motorcycles and all-terrain vehicles than any other in the world, period. The engineers who design your bike trust and spec Sunstar for the same reason you should. Because here, on the edge, failure is no option. Sunstar, number one in sprockets and brake discs. Hey everyone, it's Marvin Miskin from the Red Bull KTM Racing Team. Right now, KTM is making it easier than ever to get out and ride. Head to your local KTM Autorized dealer to take advantage of limited time offer on qualified dirt, street, adventure, and naked models, or check out KTM.com to learn more today. Hi, this is 250 Supercross Champion Chase Sexton of the Geico Honda team. To get the most performance out of your motocross bike, make sure you're using the Yoshimura exhaust systems. Visit Yosh at yoshimira-rd.com to see their wide line of slip-ons and complete systems for your bike today. Now enjoy the Swap Moto Live Kickstart podcast. Riders like Justin Cooper, Don Frandis, Eli Tomac, Adam Entingnap, Josh Hansen, and more partner with Works Chassis Lab for engine mounts and other special parts to add comfort to and enhance the handling characteristics of their bikes. 
With championships and racemans to prove it, Works Chassis Lab Parts provides the winning edge. Visit WorksChassisLab.com for more information. In 2013, 6D Helmets forever changed the way we think about motorcycle safety helmets. With its patented omnidirectional suspension system to help absorb rotational impacts, the original ATR1 helmet swept through the industry and was received with open arms by riders and racers alike. The new 6D ATR2 and ATR2U are even better than the original and carry a limited three-year warranty and a unique technology that allows the helmet to be rebuilt after most crashes. Visit 6dhelmets.com for more info. Welcome back to the 60 Helmets Kickstart Podcast. Uh, Don Maeda, Michael Antonovich, and Justin Brayton. So, hey, JB, dude, congratulations on the uh, the deal for 2020. You have to be, like, super pumped on that. And I'm, I'm super excited about it. And there's so many reasons to be excited. For one, the opportunity to race for Factory Honda. I've said it a hundred times, Again. but throughout <laughs> my career, I've, you know, just wanted to be a factory Honda guy forever and I, I got the chance in 2012 and really had my best season to date with I think six or eight podiums um you know several even podiums in motocross and uh I tied Dungey for third in the championship that year he ended up getting it because he won a race and I didn't but um had a great season and uh always looked up to Eric Kehoe and now to have the opportunity again eight years later I don't know anyone that's really done that or had that chance so just a cool opportunity a cool story something i'll look back on and really be thankful for and um, it just kind of shows that you never burn bridges and every team i've ever been on i've been thankful for for them and so yeah it's it's a cool opportunity i'm excited about it and it kind of defies all of our everybody's look on supercross and motocross right that you're it's a young man's game which it is but also if you look at chad and myself I'm 35. He's 37. The middle of the season next year, he'll be 38. I'll be 36. Mm-hmm. And we're still, I legitimately feel like I could still win a race. I mean, I just won a race yeah, less than two did. years ago. <laughs> and, um, it, yeah, I mean, I just, I really feel good about it. It's um, going to be cool to be alongside Kenny. And, and a lot of the same guys are still at Honda with Kehoe and some other guys. So should be fun. And, um, yeah, it kind of gives the guys that are in their mid twenties or even late twenties some, not some hope, but all, but just like they could look at us and say, "Man, I'm I'm not done when I'm thirty or thirty two. I can keep going." So. A little bit of inspiration. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Kehoe's back in his second stint, and so are you. So, was yeah, it exactly when you were Pretty at Honda cool. the first time? That's when you first got the number ten permanently, right? Um, no. So JGR first year that I signed with them, I was number uh-huh. twenty three. And then I had gotten the permanent number that year. So 2011 was my first year being number 10 on the on the JGR bike. Okay. And For some reason, 12, I, I, remember, I, was, yeah. I remember talking to you about being number 10 when you were on a Honda. So that's why I thought. Yeah. Yeah, that was my second year running it. Yeah. Nice. So uh, what made you choose 10? Was it because it was the lowest you know, two-digit? Um, kind of, but you know what's weird is I remember I was playing golf in California and I had the decision to make, right? And I was like, I'm going to pick 11. I, I loved Ezra Lust growing up. He was number 11. Um, and I was always number 114 as an amateur and even as a pro. And I was like, that'd be cool because it's part of 114. It's number 11. And then I just, I don't know, I got to thinking, I'm like, nah, I like the number 10. And then people started saying Bray 10, like it went with my name kind of. Yeah. And then... uh I was always a fan of Ernie when he was on factory Honda. So yeah, I ended up just picking 10 and part of it was, yeah, it was the lowest number. I think that's pretty cool. And I had no ties to any other two digit number. Mm-hmm. The only tie I had was 114. So I, yeah, I think it's cool. It kind of goes with my name and, and, um, I like the way it looks too. It's just a cool number. Mm-hmm. You know what I like about Justin and like, I'll tell him this cause he's on the phone. He always knows like the rhyme and reason for everything he does. Like he can <laughs> always trace you back. Like I did this because of this, or he, he has a great memory on everything. Like you ask him a question about any race in the past. He could probably tell you every detail about it. <laughs> yeah. It's a positive and a negative though, because I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a worry wart, but I'm definitely a thinker. And for sure, Anton, like everything I do, there's a, rhyme or reason it all has to make sense even my training like okay why am i doing this what's it going to do on the back end or or 
how's it going to benefit my racing or how's it going to make me feel or even down to travel like I hate early morning flights because I know that when I get home I'm going to suffer and I want to take a nap and my kids are going to be ready to play and so I'll always take a little bit later of a flight to make sure I get that sleep and recovery and um, so there's always a reason I guess and and why not like we're at such a high level in our sport we're at the highest level all of it has to make sense like you can't just wing it and try to be a top five guy in the world you really have to be pretty calculated in all your decisions from nutrition to training to stress management to life with your family to time management like all of it so i try and have a oh yeah. Our first technical glitch. Yeah. yeah. You there, JB? Yeah. Can you oh, hear me? Okay, yeah. yeah. You cut out for a second. So, uh, so yeah, we were texting the other night. You, I, Dude, I, I got my bike tuned up. I polished it all up, you know, and, and, and thought you were calling to borrow it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my bad. I, I was talking to Anton, and I'm like, hey, does Don have a bike I can borrow? And he's like, dude he's got a fleet of them he can borrow whatever you want so i was like all right i might be calling him to borrow a bike but then i got to thinking about it and we're going to be out there for a couple months um when i get back from australia so my like, god maybe i'll just take my epic out there now mountain bike mm-hmm. and i'll just leave it and then it'll be there when i come back so that's what i ended up doing i just brought my own bike out and um so yeah, but we definitely need to get out and pedal a little bit. Maybe climb the skyline or something. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the uh, I'll take the turbo Levo to keep up with you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Let me guess. Did you hit Bedford? I didn't hit Bedford when I was out there. I did a bunch um, when I lived out there or stayed out there a couple of years ago. I believe that was like my favorite. Yeah, my I favorite. Don't, I don't know how that's your favorite. That's like it's like the trail closest to my house. I could ride to the base in five minutes. Yeah. This is the worst trail in the world. <laughs> I always start at the Cowie track, like right there. Yeah. The, it starts with them. So you're a little bit warmed up by the time you get to that big kicker at the start. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Exactly. Nice. I lost, yeah. a, uh, I lost a headband at the top of Bedford once. Or maybe, oh, yeah. it, was, maybe it was a glove. <laughs> You've lost a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Is that the steepest one around, you think? Is that the toughest one? Uh, yeah. I think Bedford's the most horrible on uh, on our side of the mountain for sure but yeah, uh, yeah yeah bedford it kicks pretty pretty good what do you think the percentage is at the steepest part uh i think it's 18 think it 19 20 uh, yeah. 18 yeah well that one rocky r- real yeah, and it's rocky that's the hard part you yeah, gotta that, get traction with the real too. rocky part might be 20 it's pretty horrible but uh so uh um man with the honda deal uh how long was that in the works uh before you knew that you got it and because uh like it's funny because when celia announces retirement you know everybody's wondering what's going to happen and uh you know i heard there's some different rumors about who has been considered and all but like did it did it just fall into your lap or did you have to uh keep going there and give a sales pitch or anything um no i, I didn't really have to give a sales pitch at all, <laughs> at all. i actually got the phone call um i don't know really the specific date but it's been a couple months for sure now um and just got the phone call saying hey what do you think what's your plans how many more years do you think you want to race just really talking as friends because i've had a relationship with those guys really not just my factory year 2012 of this is my fourth year kind of essentially as a as a honda rider linked to the factory team Mm mm-hmm because so I've had some factory parts in the past with MCR and, um, and really helped put that together at the end of 2016 with Honda and, and MCR kind of collabing together. And so we just kind of talked as friends and, uh, it's like, man, here's what I'm thinking. Um, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, what would you think about joining the factory team and doing this and that? And I was like, man, that'd be awesome, but I don't want to lose my Australia thing. And I don't want to, be pigeonholed into not doing europe like i feel like this is me now this is this program that i have with racing internationally uh the relationship i have with the penrite honda team in australia mm-hmm. i didn't want to lose any of that so because i honestly feel like it benefits me without me doing motocross 
I wouldn't want to go all summer and all off season in the wintertime and then just show up at Anaheim one. I mean, I feel like I'd be super rusty. Yeah. So they're like, yep, yeah, no, we won't, none of that will be affected. And then I was, I was totally on board. And the next step was, Hey, let's, let's talk to Mike Genova because I did have a contract with him in place for 2020. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was totally cool with it. He's been awesome to work with. I have a great relationship with him. So it just made the most sense for Honda, for myself. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's what a great opportunity at, at 35 and um, <laughs> to be paired alongside Kenny and to be on a full works bike again. There's nothing like a works bike. I mean, I can have little odds and ends of the factory parts on my bike, but there's just nothing like a, a works bike from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And also, it's super motivating. Not that it wasn't motivating on MCR. I had a lot of motivation to do well. But now the motivation level is turned up a couple notches. And um, so that's been fun to get my mindset in the space of actually trying to win week mm-hmm. in and week out. Like I said, not that I wasn't an MCR, but there's just something about showing up with your bike underneath that tent with those <laughs> expectations. I love that feeling. I love that feeling of operation in Honda is really a lot of people don't like that and even in 2012 I, I handled it okay mm-hmm. I didn't handle it as good as I think I can handle it now um, so that's cool to kind of have a second stab at that I don't even like to call it prep those expectations set on yourself and what the team sets on you mm-hmm. it's cool to have a second stab at of hey let's legitimately go and try and and win win some races and um, you're given every opportunity to do that and that's a pretty special time to to really try and go go after that. Mm-hmm. The big thing when he was at when you were at Honda in 2012 too, like wasn't an easy year. You know, you had some pretty big crashes. I think you you had an ankle injury yeah. at some point, and you still battled through that. Like at St. Louis, that was you were far from full health and still battled to a podium finish. That was great. You know, there was a lot of success in there, even mixed in with some really really questionable days of, hey man, is he For even sure, going to be yeah. able to line up it, at it, all tonight? Yeah, it started out okay, and I'm one, I got a fourth, and then it, you know, went kind of south. L.A., I had a crash in the heat race and a crash in the LCQ, so I didn't even make the main in L.A., and that was the, the year that Kennard got hurt. Mm-hmm. So that was a very tough night for, for Honda and kind of for everyone. And then a couple weeks later in San Diego, we started to get some momentum, and then I broke my leg in practice, and then for a couple weeks i mean i could barely ride the motorcycle but i struggled to a couple tenths or ninths or something like that and then st louis i really started getting on it with a podium and then i went on a string of podiums and remember indianapolis i won the heat race i believe i was fastest in practice and and um led villapoto for 17 laps he nipped me with with three to go and next weekend in toronto i got another second and um like i said ended up ended up third and or tied for third in points which ended up fourth but yeah great season for me i mean like i can't remember if it was six or eight podiums that year but for sure a career year uh and then you know they kept talking about the chase format and stuff and actually at the halfway point to the end i would i had the most points so if there was such a chase format i, I don't know who did that but a couple of years later they did that and i would have won the championship if it was a playoff system so that was kind of cool to see that Look, if it's a eight or ten race series, I was the best guy the second half of that year. So, um, yeah, pr- pretty neat. And I struggled pretty bad to start outdoors, but then had a couple podiums in there. Second at Redbud, and um, I remember Millville was a great uh, a great weekend. And so, yeah, mixed in there was definitely some some good ones and some bad ones. But as with anything, right? So, yeah. How many uh, how many races will you do from today until we see you at Anaheim One? Not counting Montreal, I'll do six. So I'll have five. Well, there's actually four in Australia, mm-hmm. one in New Zealand, which is a part of the Australian Championship, and then I'll do one in in uh, Geneva. Okay, but then you're also so. are you doing Bercy? No Bercy, no. It's the same weekend as um, one of the Australian rounds. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. you know what's what's kind of funny is like. 
Remember last year at uh, Bercy, I brought my wife and kids with me, and we were goofing around, mm -hmm. run, you know, did the bicycle tour and everything. It's like thinking about France just makes me sad because I just that the whole Western thing. I had a, like a dark cloud over oh, yeah. my head the whole time. Yeah, yeah, that was a tough weekend for sure for everyone. I mean, because we didn't really know how bad it was. We knew it was super bad, but was it very worst case scenario or was it something where he could? recover from and we all didn't know no one kind of knew at the moment all we heard was pretty much worst case so that was tough for everyone and even to go back out and race that was really difficult yeah so uh okay past 2020 what are uh what are the plans for uh, jb10 are you gonna do the whole uh australian yeah, for thing sure i'll do i'll do australia again next year in 2020 and then honestly i'm just taking it year by year i mean I've always said I never want it to go bad to end, right? Like most things go bad before they end, whether it's mm -hmm. relationships or whatever. The reason they end is because they went bad. Yeah. I don't want that to happen with me in in Supercross. Obviously, I can't predict the future, but I'm trying my best to go off how I feel mentally, physically, and all that. Can I compete at a high level? Am I still willing to take the risks needed to race at the front and give my teams and sponsors everything that they expect out of me. So really just year by year. I mean, I have no idea. All I know right now as we sit here today that I'm motivated to win races in America. Um, I've got the equipment to do it. I've got the team around me to do it. So why not? Mm -hmm. If I feel the same way next year at this time, then I'm going to go all in again. If I don't, I definitely want to end on doing a world tour. That's, definitely in the plans whether that's 2021 or 2022 mm -hmm. i'd love to team up with honda and honda global to potentially do like just races all around the world i'd love to do similar to what i'm doing now but don't do the full american series maybe do three or four races then go to europe do three or four races do australia um and really just go around the world racing supercross mm -hmm. i think it would be cool especially now with social media and how you can reach people all around the world by a click of a button. I think there's a lot of value in it to sponsors and and such. So we'll see when that is, but I would love to make that my last year or two doing that. And like I said, whether that's in one year or three years, I'm not quite sure. Hey, JB, with the uh, Australian series starting up here in just a few weeks, you know, you, you do miss quite a few American races, but this is a big deal for you. And after talking to your Reeve, who's your team manager down there, um, there's a lot of potential growth. And, and you going down there and racing that series as long as you have has really helped them establish it more and more. Um, because they've had, you know, guys come down and race one or two races here and there. But for an American guy to commit to the whole series shines a lot of light on the talent down there. What do you see as the big, the big draw of racing down there for you? It's a lot of hassle at an important time of year, but the pros will definitely outweigh the cons. Yeah, I think the first reason why I went down there was, was one, obviously, to race. I love racing, and that's my job. I've got to make money by racing. Um, two, I, I love traveling, and I want to show my kids how – how travel it will shape you and how much they learn from traveling. Um, and I went to Australia at the end of 2010 and absolutely loved it. And then when I came back from Australia that year, I met my wife two weeks after I got back to America. So Australia was super fresh on my mind. And I remember talking to her about, about Australia. She's like, Oh, that's my dream to go there. Well, so we've always talked about it. And then, I started making phone calls um, to Honda America and then Honda Australia. and It just all worked out so perfect. And to be able to take the family there on somewhat of a holiday or vacation and also be working, I get it's just a perfect scenario, to be honest. And then to be able to win, to do three in a row, it's not as easy as people think. On paper, they might look at it and say, yeah, Justin should win. He's the best guy. But it's difficult. It's really tough to to go there into their own home turf on tracks that aren't to scale like ours and win. Like it's really tough. And then logistically to find places to live, to find tracks to ride, to, um, to have your family, to travel, call it 20 to 30 hours across the world or around the world to 
it's it's really difficult but i love logistics i love planning like that's people may not know that but that's like one of my favorite things to do is plan logistics like okay we're going to land here and we're going to be here at this time and then we're going to live here for six weeks and then i'm going to ride this track and like i love planning and i love logistics so that's that's fun for me that's really really fun to um to plan that and then if you plan it properly then you can go win the race or here's the benefit to planning it properly and and if you mess it up uh your wife's in the hospital and and you're sick for the whole time which we couldn't control that but that was a that was a reality you know so Mm -hmm. um but yeah i i just really love it. it it's part of me now it's part of my program and um it's honestly a dream scenario for me. The one thing, like after talking to you over these last few weeks and spending time with you in the past, talking to the people around you like Duff and, and Uribe and other people, uh, you really have a handle on the business side of this thing. Like you've said, you've, you've never really burned a bridge. You've had a ton of great sponsors, some that you've left and then went back to in the past. What do you want to do after this is over, do you want to be an advisor to some racer and help someone avoid some of the missteps that you've maybe had to experience on your own? Or is it just, Hey, I've done this enough. Now I want to take a step back. Like you have a better handle on this than I think anybody does. And even guys that have won, you know, hundreds of races or championships or whatever. Yeah. I would love to stay in the sport. It's honestly something that it's my full passion. I tell people all the time if they ask me, well, why do you still do it? You're 35 and like, why do you still do it? It's seriously, if I had a billion dollars in the bank and I woke up and they said, what do you want to do today? You can do anything in the world. I would honestly want to go ride my motorcycle and hang out with my buddies that, that share that same passion. So after racing, I don't think that's going to change. The biggest thing is time with my family and really where my kids want me to be if my kids want me to be home a certain amount of time that's really going to be probably my first you know my my first thing to think about Mm -hmm. but i would love to be uh, i don't know if advisor would be the right word but um just to help like i love helping too and people don't know me i've helped riders that behind the scenes i mean i'm helping a couple riders right now behind the scenes for free for i don't ever want um mo- i don't want money for it right now at all because i don't i can't spend the time with them that i feel like would require them to pay me but i love getting phone calls from guys that are racing and and um i just love helping i feel like i have a lot to offer i think i'm one of the only guys in the sport that has been at every level of the sport which from literally not being able to qualify to not being able to get top 20s at motocross nationals to then being a top 10 guy, to then being a top five guy, to then winning races at the highest level and buying for championships. And I don't know if I can think of another guy that has actually been at that, all those levels. And each one takes a certain amount of mental capacity, right? Like they're all very similar because you feel like that's all you can do is I need to get a top 20 today. It's the same thing as going to try to win the race except you need to ratchet it up and there is a little more pressure because the guys that are trying to win the race, there's way more money on the line. If they don't win the race, there's some sort of consequences, whether it's from the team or mentally. Um, And if I didn't get top 20, there's nobody I have to answer to. Like, it doesn't matter. So to be at all those levels, um, I think there's something I could offer really to everybody. But I like the one percenters. I like the guys that are, you know, buying for championships. So they're just missing one little ingredient um and it could be something as easy as stress management at home or feel like everybody just looks to training all the time and sometimes that's the last thing they should ever think about is the training stuff we're we're all in good shape it's not rocket science it's 20 minutes of high intensity and they overlook so many different things whether it's even just the flights like we talked about earlier the the sleep that you get on saturday night um that's critical to your next Saturday. And then it just starts to compound over weeks and weeks and weeks. And then they wonder why six weeks into the series are so flat. They can't even finish a, a 20 lap main. So I would love to, to help in, in any way if the right person came along and the right rider. Um, so yeah, I'd love to stay in it somehow, some way it's my passion. It's what I love to do. So we'll see where that takes me, but 
I'd absolutely love to to help in some way that I could for some other riders along the way. Cool. Yeah. The other thing is too, the business end that you know. I I think that that's incredible. Is that something you actively tried to learn? Was that like a passion of yours to to understand that side so you could handle more things on your own and not be so reliant on an agent or a manager? Or was that just kind of how things came to be because you'd rather just want to know more? Yeah, I've I've always heard the horror stories, right? The horror stories of such and such agent taking such and such or this guy getting screwed by this guy or that guy. You know, you always just hear that, right? So... And I've never been a, a guy, even from the beginning, there was never a guy, people knocking me on my door and, hey, we want to give you a million bucks and this and that. It was never that way. But I did have an agent for a long time, 10 or so years, 10 plus years, Steve Aldaco. Um, he was great. But in all my deals, every single deal, I was involved and I wanted to be. Every meeting we had, I wanted to sit in on it. Um, so, yeah, I, I just wanted to be involved in everything. I wanted to know the exact figures. I wanted to know how you speak to people, how the, how the business side actually worked. And it was only to my benefit. Like, I don't want someone to ride the motorcycle for me. I don't want someone working on my deals for me that I don't know about, you know, like it's, it's not a trust thing. It's just, I like doing it. I enjoy doing it. It's probably the reason why I've struggled with, you know, having trainers throughout the years of, I would rather do my own research and, and figure out how I feel on my se- by myself and not put it on somebody else's shoulders. Definitely, I, I've had help along the way, and I continue to have help along the way. But I'm involved in everything. And like we talked about earlier, there's a rhyme or reason why I do, why I do most things. Well, that's the same way to deals and structuring certain things and um, – doing supercross only but then the only way that really makes sense is to do australia and um and then yeah you treat people with respect every team i've ever been on it's it's a difficult thing to go racing in in our world it's a lot of money so i respect the team owners i respect the team managers um they're away from their families just like i am and i think the biggest thing with with all of it is communication i've I've always tried to be really good at communicating how I'm feeling or, or what I'm thinking with my owners and managers. And I've tried to work on that within teams. There's been teams that I've been on that communication is terrible. And I've tried to help that because I think that's the number one thing. And whether it's relationships or teams or whatever it is, friendships, like if you don't communicate, you something's going to go south. So I've tried my best to do that. And um, yeah, it's not a coincidence that, you know, I'm the way I am. But it's all—it's just something that I'm always wanted to be a part of, and I've never been one to or want to be 40 years old and say, "Man, that that guy totally took advantage of me," but I wasn't involved in it because I was too busy with racing. Well, that's your own fault. Like mm-hmm. that's, you need to be involved to a, a certain extent. So, is it hard to uh, sell yourself? Like, I mean. You know, like an agent will obviously go out there and throw out this gigantic number, right? Um, is, is that a tough part of the process to uh, negotiate, you know, salaries? Like, you obviously, no, you obviously really. know what it's you want. It's not as hard as you think because most of the people that I'm negotiating with are, I've got a relationship with them, which that can hurt and help, but I've never been one to want it to be lopsided like i've never wanted to be overpaid sounds crazy but if i'm overpaid there's way more pressure on me and then the team's not happy if i don't perform because then you have so much pressure to perform at a high level i don't want that Mm -hmm. i want it to make sense for me for me to be stoked on it but i also want the team or the sponsor to be stoked on it like they're getting a good deal also and then okay if you want to pay me a little less salary i'm okay with that but if i get if i win a race or if i get top five like I have that open conversation with them. Like, what would you expect out of me? Mm-hmm. Well, we want you to be a top 10 guy or a top five guy. Okay. If I am that for you, then bonus me for it and reward me for it. Mm-hmm. And almost everyone is okay with doing bonuses because then everybody's happy. They get what they want. I get what I want. I get compensated for it. But the, on the front side, the salary, yeah, I don't think it's that difficult. There's a going rate and it's not like I'm 22 or I have no idea what people are making. Mm-hmm. I know they're going right for top five 
450 supercross guy or, or top 10 in years past or whatever it is and let's just pay me fair i don't want to make i'm not worth 1.5 million right now i'm not worth a million bucks but i do think i'm worth x and mm -hmm. let's pay that and i'll get you those results so I, I think both sides should always be happy in it because if I got one huge deal and the team's bombed and then I'm probably not getting another deal, you know? So, um, yeah. I think there's some longevity and being fair with your sponsors. Have you ever had a, uh, kind of a, a really creative or out there bonus of some sort, you know, like, uh, like I know that there's been clothing deals that have, lease a really fancy car for the rider for the duration of the contract or you know stuff like that have you ever gotten a, a, a interesting and unique bonus no not really not anything like that i've always just been i have negotiated in like motorcycles like there's some, something about like getting your bike at the end of the year or getting a couple bikes mm -hmm. even though it's just money for everyone it's just it's not money like it's actually a, a something a, a, a possession that you'll have you know yeah so that's kind of cool i've negotiated almost all my deals like hey give me a couple bikes at the end of the year just just cool they okay here's here's your bikes for the year it's two you know sweet looking bikes and it's like oh awesome they could pay me an extra 20 grand mm -hmm. but i'd rather have the bikes just i mean i end up selling them anyways but there's just something cool about that <laughs> but most of the time i try and get unique around the world like try and do some bonuses for Montreal because I feel like there's some gains in that for guys like Fly and Showy. And I mean, there was no other event being talked about in the U.S. as much as maybe Montreal this weekend. So I think there's um, a reason to be bonus for that if you're on the podium. So, yeah, I, nothing too unique, but just your basic probably top three or or um, and then in the states, you know, you try and I always ask them up front, like where, you, where do you expect me to be? Mm -hmm. And if they say it's top ten, okay, even if I get a tenth, if I go down in the first turn and have an amazing ride back to tenth, or my bike's all bent up, I think I should be bonus for that. Mm -hmm. So I try and work in those types of deal and uh, deals, and never try and make it one-sided. I've always really communicate with the sponsors on kind of what they're looking for and and what I think I can give them. Mm -hmm cool well hey justin thank you for uh spending your morning with us for uh for, uh, for this little uh 60 podcast and uh man so you are off to australia pretty soon then right that's next yeah yeah we leave uh here in about two weeks okay well i texted so my you, season I, is underway <laughs> i just texted you the uh travel insurance website so check that Perfect. out <laughs> I'll, yeah i'll check it out all righty well hey thanks again for uh for taking the call Awesome. Thank you, guys. See you, JB. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye.